Chapter 4 of the Boy Scouts Book of Campfire Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Monty Spinero. The Boy Scout Book of Campfire Stories. Chapter 4 The Old Virginia by Stuart Edward White. The ring around the sun had thickened all day long, and the turquoise blue of the Arizona sky had filmed. Storms in the dry countries are infrequent, but heavy, and this surely meant storm. We had ridden since sun-up over broad mesas, down and out of deep canyons, along the base of the mountains in the widest part of the territory. The cattle were winding leisurely toward the high country. The jackrabbits had disappeared. The quail lacked. We did not see a single antelope in the open. It's a case of the hold-up, the cattleman ventured his opinion. I have a ranch over in the double R. Charlie and Windy Bill hold it down. We'll tackle it. What do you think? The four cowboys agreed. We dropped into a low, broad water course, ascending its bed to big cottonwoods and flowing water, followed it into the box canyons between rimrock carved fantastically and painted like a moorish façade, until at last, in a widening below a round hill, we came upon an adobe house, a fruit tree, and a round corral. This was the double R. Charlie and Windy Bill welcomed us with soda biscuits. We turned our horses out, spread our beds on the floor, filled our pipes, and squatted on our heels. Various dogs of various breeds investigated us. It was very pleasant, and we did not mind the ring around the sun. Somebody else coming, announced the cattleman finally. Uncle Jim said Charlie after a glance. A hawk-faced old man with a long white beard and long white hair rode out from the cottonwoods. He had on a battered broad hat abnormally high of crown, carried across his saddle a heavy eight-square rifle, and was followed by a half-dozen lolloping hounds. The largest and fiercest of the latter, catching sight of our group, launched himself with lightning rapidity at the biggest of the ranch dogs, promptly nailed that canine by the back of the neck, shook him violently a score of times, flung him aside, and pounced on the next. During the ensuing few moments, that hound was the busiest thing in the West. He satisfactorily whipped four dogs, pursued two cats up a tree, upset the Dutch oven and the rest of the soda biscuits, stampeded the horses, and raised a cloud of dust adequate to represent the smoke of battle. We others were too paralyzed to move. Uncle Jim sat placidly on his white horse, his thin knees bent to the oxbow stirrups, smoking. In ten seconds the trouble was over principally because there was no more trouble to make. That hound returned leisurely, 
licking from his chops the hair of his victims, Uncle Jim shook his head. Trailer, said he sadly, is a little severe. We agreed heartily, and turned in to welcome Uncle Jim with a fresh batch of soda biscuits. The old man was one of the typical long hairs. He had come to the Galliero Mountains in 69, and since 69 he had remained in the Galliero Mountains, spite of man or the devil. At present he possessed some hundreds of cattle, which he had reputed to water in a dry season, from an ordinary dishpan. In times past he had prospected. That evening, the severe trailer having dropped to slumber, he held forth on big game hunting and dogs, quartz claims and Apaches. Did you ever have any very close calls, I asked? He ruminated a few moments, refilled his pipe with some awful tobacco, and told the following experience. In the time of Geronimo, I was living just about where I do now, and that was just about in line with the rating. You see, Geronimo and Jew, an old local, used to pile out of the reservation at Camp Apache, raid south to the line, slip over into Mexico when the soldiers got too promiscuous, and raid there until they got ready to come back. Then there was always a big medicine talk. Says Geronimo, I am tired of the warpath. I will come back from Mexico with all my warriors, if you will escort me with soldiers and protect my people. All right, said the general, being only too glad to get him back at all. So then... In ten minutes, there wouldn't be a buck in camp. But next morning, they'd show up again, each with about fifty head of horses. Where'd you get those horses? asked the general, suspicious. Had them in the pasture in the hills, answered Geronimo. I can't take all those horses with me. I believe they're stolen, said the general. My people cannot go without their horses, said Geronimo. So across the line they goes, and back to the reservation. In about a week, there's fifty-two frantic geezers wanting to know where's their horses. The army is nothing but an importer of the stolen stock, and knows it, and can't help it. Well, as I says, I'm between Camp Apache and the Mexican line, so every raiding party goes right on past me. The point is that I'm a thousand feet or so above the valley, and the renegades is in such a hurry about the time they never stop to climb up and collect me. Often I watch them trailing down the valley and a cloud of dust. Then, in a day or two, a squad of soldiers would come in and camp at my spring for a while. They used to send soldiers to guard every water hole in the country so the renegades couldn't get water. After a while, from not being bothered none, I got to thinking I wasn't worth while with them. Me and Johnny Hopper were pecking away at the old Virginia mine then. We'd got down about sixty feet, all timbered, and was thinking of cross-cutting. 
One day Johnny went to town, and that same day I got in a hurry and left my gun at camp. I worked all the morning down to the bottom of that shaft, and when I see by the sun it was getting along toward noon, I put in three good shots, tamped them down, lit the fuses, and started to climb out. It ain't no ways pleasant to light a fuse in a shaft and then have to climb out a 50-foot ladder with it burning behind you. I never did get used to it. You keep thinking, now suppose there's a flaw in that fuse or something. And she goes off in six seconds instead of two minutes. Will you be then? It will give you a good boost toward your home on high anyway. So I climbed fast and stuck my head out the top without looking, and then I froze solid enough. There, about fifty feet away, climbing up the hill on mighty tired horses, was a dozen of the ugliest cheery cowers you ever didn't want to meet, and in addition a Mexican renegade named Maria, who was worse than any of them. I see at once their horses was tired out and they had a notion of camping in my waterhole, not knowing nothing about the old Virginia mine. For two bits, I'd have let go of all holds and dropped backwards, trusting in my thick head for easy lighting. Then I heard little fuse and sputter from below, and that my hair raised right up so I could feel the breeze blow under my hat. For about six seconds I stood there like an imbecile, grinning amiably. Then one of those cheery cowers made a sort of grunt, and I said they'd seen the original exhibit your Uncle Jim was making of himself. Then that fuse gave another sputter, and one of the Apaches said, Unda, that means white man. It was harder to turn my head than if I had a stiff neck, but I managed to do it and I see that my ore dump wasn't more than ten foot away. I mighty near overjumped it, and next I knew I was on the side of it and those Apaches on the other. Probably I flew. Leastways, I don't seem to remember jumping. That didn't seem to do me much good. The renegades grinning and laughing and think how easy a thing they had. I couldn't rightly think up any argument against the notion at least from their standpoint, they were chattering away at each other in Mexican for the benefit of Maria. Oh, they had me all disturbed down to my suspender buttons, and me squatting behind that ore dump about as formidable as a brush rabbit. Then all at once, one of my shots went off down in the shaft. Boom, says she, plenty big and a slather of rocks and stone come out of the mouth and begin to dump down promiscuous on the scenery. I got one little one in the shoulder blade and found time to wish my ore dump had a roof. But those renegades caught it square in the thick of trouble. One got knocked out entirely for a minute by a nice piece of country rock in the head. Otra vez, yelled I, which means again, Boom! goes the old Virginia prompt as an answer. I put in my time dodging, but when I gets a chance to look, the Apaches has all got to cover and is looking scared. Otra vez, yells I again. Boom, says the old Virginia. 
This was the biggest shot of the lot, and she surely cut loose. I ought to have been halfway up the hill watching things from a safe distance, but I wasn't. Lucky for me, the shaft was a little on the drift, so she didn't quite shoot my way. But she distributed about a ton over those renegades. They sort of half got to their feet, uncertain. Au traverse, yells I once more, as bold as if I could keep her shooting all day. It was just a cold, raw blazer, and if it didn't go through, I could see me as an Apache parlor ornament. But it did. Those Churichawas gave one yell and skipped. It was surely a funny sight after they got aboard their war ponies to see them try to dig out on horses too tired to trot. I didn't stop to get at all the laughs, though. In fact, I gave one jump off the ledge, and I lit a running. A quarter horse couldn't have beat me on that shake. There I grabbed my good old gun, old meat in the pot, and made a climb for the tall country. Uncle Jim stopped with an air of finality and began lazily to refill his pipe. From the open mud fireplace he picked the coal. Outside, the rain, faithful to the prophecy of the wide-ringed sun, beat fitful against the roof. That was the close call I ever had, said he at last. End of chapter 4 Recorded by Monty Spinero.